Hello and welcome back to the Core Perform Corner. It is your two favorite dietitians when it comes to gut health, maybe <laughs> Daja and Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> um, Courtney, tell us what has been up with you because I feel like you have some exciting kind of news to share that you're like looking into that thing. I don't know. Go share your thing. <laughs> um, I'm going to farm camp. That probably sounds so weird. People listening are like, oh, okay, interesting. It's if you an OG person. follower too, like pickle juice. Like all I got to say is pickle juice. <laughs> yeah, you. If, if you know me well, this is not going to be surprising at all. So long story short, I'm going on an educational retreat. So there are continuing education units that will be provided for this, which is always cool as a dietitian. Um, we get, we have to do 75 of them every five years. And you know what, those suckers, they're hard to get. Like I'm constantly trying to do the free ones where you're doing quizzes. And let me tell you one at a time takes a while. So anyway, um, that was just like the added bonus of this thing, but it's a retreat out in Maryland. I've never really been on the East coast before. So I'm going to be going to the East coast for a couple days on this farm where I'm going to be working with a few dietitians who specialize in the functional nutrition world, but from an agricultural standpoint. So they literally like grow all their own food, all their vegetables, all their cattle, their chickens, like fresh eggs every morning. And you guys, like, I'm so excited. It's at this cute little rustic lodge. And like, you wake up in the morning and we have like coffee in the garden and then we'll do some harvesting. We're making our own sourdough bread and making pie and like milking goats and making soap. And I'm like, so excited about all of this. Like this is right up my alley. So follow me on Instagram because I'll definitely be posting all like the classic, like Instagram fall vibes with my flannel and my boots. It's going to be a vibe. Yay. That sounds so exciting. I'm so happy for you. And I can't wait for you to learn and share with us what you learn. All the things I'm, I'm super stoked. So anyways, I'm just, I'm looking forward to that. I've never been on the East coast and like in fall, I've heard it's just gorgeous. Oh, can't wait. Yay. All right. Well, hopefully we'll be, have a chance to meet up in person. So that would be fun. And you have time to meet up with anyone who follows us. They can reach out to you and y'all can go hiking or something. Yeah. If you you live in Maryland, that's where I'll be. Um, well, on my end, I am, we're opening up the next two weeks. So until September 28th, you can register for cohort two. The first cohort honestly was like bomb. Courtney, you were a part of it and maybe you can share a little bit more, but like, I'm so stoked for this, um, second cohort. So you guys have until the 28th to register. We'll put the link in the description to book a call with us. Um, I always want to make sure you guys are good fits for the, the mentorship, because I don't want anyone to take it who a wouldn't need it or B it's like above and beyond what they need at this time. So, um, Courtney, what did you think? Oh my gosh, the wealth of knowledge and the personalization that you get with this is is unreal. Um, Again, as we were talking about earlier, right? Like you do get CEUs. So even if you're not a dietitian though, like it's NASM credentials and for the academy, right? Yeah, yeah. You'll get all the NASM credentials you need for the next three years. And then for dietitians, you'll get CEUs. Yeah, which is amazing. Amazing. That's a huge, but even like aside from that though, like I cannot even express how personalized this is. Like it's not cookie cutter. We go through real case studies that both Dasha and I have had. We encourage our um, group members to share their own personal case studies. So if they're actively having clients that they're struggling with, they get to share 
all of the data, all the labs, and then we work through it together as a group to figure out like what the best approach is, maybe what went wrong, how to reassess and change something, get a different perspective. It's, it's amazing. It covers everything you could possibly think of when it comes to digestive health and more. So if that even like lights your fire the slightest bit and you're interested in learning more about that, definitely consider booking a call to talk to Dasha about this in more detail, or even myself, like I participated in it as well. Um, I did one lecture as well, which I really enjoyed. Um, but really like, don't, don't miss out on this opportunity. It will level yeah. up your experience. Yeah. And we had nurses in there. We had occupational personal therapists, trainer, we had everything. personal trainers, we had dietitians who specialized in gut health, take the course. Like mm -hmm. this is for a lot of big, broad um, audience. So hopefully we see you guys and meet you guys there, but let's dive into some of the questions. And honestly, I'm pulling, not going to lie this first question, I'm pulling straight from the course itself anyways. So First question is how accurate are breath tests for SIBO? So um, as many as 40% of people have undiagnosed SIBO. So 40%, four out of 10, four to 78% of people with IBS also have SIBO. So really we have no idea, right? I mean, that's zero to 80%. So we don't really know how many people with IBS also have SIBO because many doctors do not test for SIBO at this point. They kind of just give you the IBS kind of, oh, you have IBS and let you go off. Um, 40 per, 45% of people, let's say your doctor did actually test you for SIBO, test you positive. 45% of people with SIBO after antibiotic treatment will relapse. And so that's a pretty high number, right? You have a 50-50 shot and when you do take antibiotics and it does not come cheap. It's about $1,600. Um, insurance rarely covers it and that's for two weeks. So if you do need a second round, you can imagine how that number really adds up and how um, a supplemental approach is a ton cheaper and even hiring a coach like Courtney or myself would be cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, the prevalence of SIBO in celiac disease is 50%. But when it comes to the actual like accuracy of breath tests, glucose is a little bit better than lactulose. So there's something called sensitivity and specificity. So sensitivity is the ability of a test to accurately identify patients with a disease. Specificity is the same thing, but without the disease. So it's a true positive or a true negative, essentially that we're talking about with the sensitivity and the specificity. So the glucose has a higher sensitivity and specificity, um, the specificity. So with glucose, um, the ability to accurately identify people without the disease is 83%. So you can very clearly rule out SIBO if your test is negative, 70% um, with lactulose and 83% with glucose. If you want to correctly diagnose the test, Glucose is about 54% and lactulose is about 42% of a true positive, meaning that 60% of people who come up positive might not actually have the disease, okay? So um, again, these numbers we go a little bit deeper into in the course, but hopefully that helps to at least give you a guidance of um, I would say, yes, the glucose is the better out of the two. They are very similar. I mean, within 10% of each other. Um, and I would say that it, if it's false, it's probably false, but if it's mm -hmm. true, then you, it may not be true, true. So that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, I would say. Mm -hmm. 
Next question is, I've recent, so this is a question specifically, um, I believe it was Lori asked, I've recently started lifting heavy around 80% of run one rep max for bone building, PSM 50. So she's focusing on bone building, started lifting heavy. I have about one hour to work out and want to get the most bang for my buck. With warm-ups, I only get three exercises done with four sets, five to seven reps. I'd like to get another exercise in. Is three sets of five to seven reps as beneficial for maintaining muscle and building bone? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I want to touch on as well is your bone density will start to decline. I think it's after 30 or 35, like you will reach peak bone mineralization at that age. So Mm -hmm. at that point you can't really build anymore, but you can maintain and slow the degradation of breakdown of bone. So at 50, you can't build more, but you can slow down progression of things like osteoporosis and things like that, which is why I love resistance exercising for older adults. Like you guys do it weightlifting. You don't have to be throwing crazy weights around and lifting barbells over your head or anything crazy, but that type of resistance activity is so beneficial for joint health mobility, bone structure, you know, work with a coach, obviously, to make sure that you're doing the movements properly. But you guys like it's it does wonders for for your bone and joint health. So if you're thinking about it, I would recommend it. Yeah. And there's actually two things that I want to touch upon. One is the actual sheer resistance. So they've done studies with bones where they had someone load up like something stupid high amount, like a thousand pounds on the on the leg press and not actually leg press it, but just remove it so that the actual compounding and the pressure was being put on the bones. And that alone was enough to prevent the degradation of their bone health. Um, So you remember here, like the point here is that the actual pressure of the muscle, you you don't necessarily have to train the muscle to stimulate the bone in that Mm -hmm. sense. Now, the other side of that, and very similarly, this is why um, astronauts right now, if you've ever seen astronauts. And then also there are studies with these vibration plates. So I don't know if every, anyone's gyms have these yet. Mine does, even though it's like a really old bodybuilding gym, they, for some reason they use it as like, Oh, it'll shake off your fat or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's absurd why they're using those, but the actual like, uh, science behind it is very strong for bone health. And this has actually been utilized in those with eating disorders in order to help prevent their, um, in order to maintain their bone health when they're malnourished. So yeah, yeah, bone health is huge vibration plates if you have access to them, but astronauts use them in space for a reason. um, Because again, it's that pressure that really matters, um, or the stimulation of the bones. and vitamin D and calcium. So please make sure you're getting your daily D, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, next question. I've always thought that oats are gluten-free until I started recently seeing gluten-free oats. What's the difference and explanation for that? So glutes, glutes, wow. <laughs> gluten-free oats, that, that's a kind of a an oxymoron. So oats naturally are gluten-free. The issue though is oats are processed very, very similarly to wheat. Usually they're in the same facility in most cases. So cross-contamination is a huge risk. It's really difficult to find 100% fully gluten-free oats just because of that risk of contamination. Um, like Dasha, I'm sure you've been glutened before with gluten-free oats. Yeah, she's her eyes got really wide. Yeah, that's why. Um, 
usually it's hard to have, find like a processing plant that is so strict with their parameters that it's hundred percent gluten-free and there's no risk at all for cross-contamination. Yeah. The other thing I will say is like, I personally have a really weird oat sensitivity as well. Um, so a lot of people with celiac disease have, um, cross reactivity to certain grains as well. So making sure that you identify, even if you do have celiac disease, like you might be sensitive even to gluten-free oats, which is for example, for me, like when I have cooked oats, like I am in the bathroom, I have like a celiac reaction. Um, and I've also reacted poorly to, and this is honestly more of a shout out and warning to people who have celiac disease. Again, only if you have celiac disease, will you actually care or notice about this, mm -hmm. but, um, they sell like gluten-free like crackers and like gluten, they sell specifically the one that I reacted to was like their gluten-free crisp bread and that uses regular oats. So for anyone with celiac disease, just make sure you check like if they don't use gluten-free oats in the packaging, they might still say like quote unquote gluten-free or does not contain gluten containing ingredients. But unless it has the stamp of approval, which Trader Joe's never really does, um, unless it has that stamp, then you can't really be safe that it has less than 20 ppms um, mm -hmm. parts per million. All right. Info on PUFAs, if it's bad for your digestion and gut to regularly eat nuts, seeds, and legumes. Dude, this has been blowing up recently. Like everyone and their mothers are so scared of omega-3, omega-6s. Everyone's hating on nuts, yeah. which is a bummer because they're so good and for legumes. you. And yeah, no, they're hating. Yeah. Don't be a hater. Don't be a nut hater, you guys. Yeah. So no, it is not bad for you. PUFAs stand for polyunsaturated fatty acids. So there are really there's a lot of misconception here about like oils and nuts and seeds and like how they react to the body and whether or not they're quote inflammatory. We've talked about this multiple times. What may be inflammatory for somebody may not be inflammatory for another person, first of all, but honestly, the nutrient benefits that a lot of people can get from nuts and seeds and other oils that are PUFAs strongly outweigh any potential risk of something being quote inflammatory. So the processing is important. Your gut sensitivity is important. If you have a ton of dysbiosis going on and other GI issues, you might find that you're personally sensitive to certain types of nuts and seeds. It's not because the nuts and seeds themselves, it's because you have a root cause GI issue going on that needs to be addressed first. So um, I have a list here of some of my favorites. So one of the reasons why I don't think we should be hating so hard on these is you're missing the benefits of ALA, of um, EPA, DHA. So omega-6s still have a lot of benefits of these fatty acids that are important for brain health, for metabolism, for all of these different functions. When you're completely eliminating and removing these food groups, you can kind of put yourself at risk for nutrient deficiencies, as well as a really just unhealthy relationship with food, which as we know, can just wreak havoc on your mental health and your physical well-being as well. So no, it's not unhealthy to eat nuts and seeds. The issue for some people, specifically with things like peanuts, almonds, cashews, is there can be high risk for contamination of like mold and things like that. Unless that's a specific problem, which you would know if you're working with someone individually, you don't need to be afraid of these nuts and seeds. What do you think? I completely agree. And I think the reason why poop is also, let's just clear the air. The ideal mm -hmm. ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s is four to one, okay? Which means that 
you should and naturally will consume more omega-6s than omega-3s. And so this is the ideal, right? A four to one ratio. I think the problem right now is that most of these studies are being done in people who are eating a lot of processed and packaged foods where all of these PUFAs are actually being cooked and heated and caused to become more carcinogenic, inflammatory, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Because remember, polyunsaturated fats are awesome for us. So, So same with monounsaturated fats. They're great for us just like saturated and and medium chain triglycerides. Like they're all really good for us in moderation. It's just the polyunsaturated fats and unsaturated fats in general are very unstable, which means that when we put them in sunlight, when we expose them to heat, when AKA cooking, baking, frying, any of the above, which is processed foods, right? Um, So when we do any of that, that increases its risk of becoming more um, carcinogenic and inflammatory. And um, so I personally, I'm always like the advocate. I'm like, everyone shout out to the world. Canola oil has better omega-3 profile than olive oil. So let's stop hating on true pure canola oil and actually educate the, the audience that it's not the, the, the actual nuts, seeds, legumes, right? It's how are we processing them and then consuming them and transporting them in heat and plastic and all this stuff, right? So if you're getting your olive oil in a glass jar or you're getting your canola oil or your walnut oil or whatever you're consuming, avocado oil, just make sure it's in a glass container or dark container, dark and glass is ideal. Um, Mm -hmm. that won't expose it to those, um, sunlight, heat, et cetera, a little bit less. Um, and then when it comes to digestion too, um, there's two different things here. A lot of people think that it's the PUFAs that's inflammatory, but there's also the anti, um, anti-nutrient qualities that Mm -hmm. people say that are, are, present in nuts, seeds, and legumes. And this is exactly why I don't recommend other plant proteins is because this is what I focused on as well with core perform is making sure that we do not have that much phytic acid, which is the number one um, anti-nutrient found in most of the pea and plant proteins on the market. So what are anti-nutrients? Anti-nutrients are essentially things like these, for example, phytic acid that is found in nuts, seeds, legumes that inhibit the absorption properly of vitamins and minerals from those foods. So it's recommended to soak and sprout your nuts because it'll help to remove the anti-nutrient quantity from those um, foods. So um, if you want, they're also easier to digest once they've been soaked in in water overnight. Um, So that's what I would recommend and say about that question. We have a follow-up though. For nut and seed butters, is sunflower seed butter generally better tolerated than almond and cashew? What's been your experience? Yes. Most of the time, yes. Like when we have clients go through our specific protocol, everyone's very different. Um, but we do tend to see a lot of people not have any reactivity to sun butter whereas they might have a lot a lot of sensitivities to something like a cashew and almond a peanut um for whatever reason um the sunflower seed is a little bit easier to digest and tolerate than those other nuts that might again have a little bit more phytic acid that might have um compounds in them that might not be able to be properly digested and absorbed if there's something else going on the cool thing though is to be completely them forever 
Yeah, to be completely honest, it doesn't have to do with the anti-nutrients when it comes to sunflower seed, butter, or nut butter. What really is going on here is that everyone and their mother is consuming almond milk. And so when you're in an inflammatory state and you have leaky gut, you will react to the foods that you're com most commonly eating. And for most people, that is nuts. Nuts in general are top allergen, peanuts, um, and then additionally, almonds. Um, those are just so prevalent in our diets nowadays that I find that once we remove those triggers initially, we'll, we're able to reintroduce them back. But just because you have leaky gut at this moment due to your dysbiosis, and remember leaky gut just means increased intestinal permeability the bacteria, the bad gut bacteria is causing your intestinal permeability to weaken, which causes any of the foods that you're currently eating to cross that barrier and cause an inflammatory reaction. So mm -hmm. again, this is the same exact reason why food sensitivity tests are not accurate. Um, it's because of this barrier being broken down and weakened um, and you are reacting and your food sensitivity test now says, oh, you're reacting to all the foods you eat. And you're like, oh my God, no wonder I'm so sick. It's because I'm sensitive <laughs> to all these foods. No, you're not. You're just acutely sensitive to them because that's what you're eating in this moment. And yep. so you need to get to the root cause, heal that dysbiosis and allow your body to overcome that. Um, but that's why we see better results from sunflower seed butter is just because no one really uses it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then it's cool too, because people end up trying something new and they're like, wow, I love this. And I'm like, yeah. that's awesome. Like we yeah. get to try something new. We're all about promoting diversity of foods with more perform. So we really try to challenge you to experiment with things in the grocery store. So yeah, I eat love more, not less. Yeah, exactly. Um, does anyone know why some protocols have only three days of antimicrobials versus taking daily for a few weeks? What's better for SIBO killing or killing and what increases acromancia? Have you ever seen a protocol doing only no. three days of antimicrobials? Yeah, no. And if, if someone is doing that, don't do that three yeah. days. What is that? It's yeah. like a, I don't know. That's thing. nothing's going to happen. That's nothing's going to happen. Um, no, three days is even like two to four weeks is nothing like I would even argue you're you're literally increasing your decreasing your ability to recover from a three-day protocol because think about it like antibiotics when we're put on antibiotics if you do not complete your antibiotic regimen those 10 days you become resistant to that antibiotic and now you're kind of screwed because you can't take that antibiotic again we don't know. And this could be possible. We haven't gotten into this deep of the literature yet. We don't know yet. But in my like theory and biologically, it makes sense to me that if you put three days on of an antimicrobial and your body responds well to it, and then you let your three days, the bad gut bugs kind of adjust and learn how to overcome that, you're giving them time to become resistant to that herbal treatment. So in my opinion, definitely take it daily. Um, that's going to be what's better for SIBO and for killing. And now let's talk about acromancia. Our favorite is going to be, I just say, I like to say red. Yeah. Red. I feel like Dasha, your go, your go-to is cranberry and mine is, they're both, they're both great, but I, I'm always like tart cherry juice. Like yeah. I, I, I love both, but I love tart cherry. I, I don't know. I'm obsessed with it. Tart cherry, cranberry, all the red polyphenol rich foods, those will really increase acromancia the best. 
do you have those are all the questions that we got in the Facebook group be sure to join the Facebook group links in the description of course if you want to ask questions for next week but that's all we got for this week thank you guys for joining and be sure to ask um you're free to ask like your specific case study questions and mm -hmm. whatever's personal to you um and we'll be happy to address it so yeah, we'll we want next. we want your questions yeah oh oh before I forget guys if you want free ten dollar gift card to corpform.com we're doing an amazon promotion we just launched on amazon and we need your help with as many reviews as possible because it'll help our ranking the way that the algorithm works mm -hmm. so if you guys can help us with putting up some reviews on amazon i'm giving you guys a free ten dollar gift card to the website and then we're also choosing one winner at the end of september to win a hundred dollar gift card to the website mm -hmm. uh, yeah there's only been like three people who have left a review so your chances of winning right now are sky high <laughs> wow let's do it let's go yeah. yeah so um thanks guys for joining and we'll see you all next week Bye. bye